Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind-the-scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now here's your host, Shona Siegel. Welcome, another edition of the Press Row. Today, uh, we take a deep dive into the worldwide leader of sports, ESPN, where a former 20-year, sorry, 22-year veteran uh, spends time with us re-looking re- at his career and the inside scoop of what it looks like working at ESPN and, and how they approach things like SportsCenter and gambling. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy that look from inside Connecticut, where so much of our sports media has occurred over the last you know, 30-something years. First, let me tell you about my friends at Bet Online. It is the fastest and easiest way to get all your sports action. They have you covered for news, scores, and odds. And yes, you can even bet. That is a large topic of today's discussion, by the way. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Hi, guys. This is Jay Ashburg from Seattle Shirt Company. I know you're thinking, If I'm not in Seattle, why do I need a shirt from seattleshirt.com? The answer is because we carry much more than just Seattle shirts. Check us out for everything from NBA and NFL, throwback jerseys, sweatshirts, hats, t-shirts, you name it. Right now we're offering free shipping on all orders over $9.97 and over $30 to Canada. Check us out now at seattleshirt.com and enter the code PRESSROW, that's P-R-E-S-S-R-O-W, at checkout for an extra 15% discount on your entire order. Once again, that's seattleshirt.com. Now back to more of the Press Row. Here again is your host, Jonas Siegel. Welcome back in the Press Row. Jonas Siegel here in Seattle, a... uh, Chilly fall like morning in June. I was just outside actually. And uh, very, most of the guests that I talk to, if I have any personal relationship, it's certainly new ish, if you will. And uh, happy to say this morning that we're, we're turning back the clock uh, way, 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 way back uh, to, to a place that I believe is, is critical. And maybe we'll, we'll del- delve into that a little bit. In, in my development, and I think it's something that's grown into something very important in both my kids as well, and that is summer camp. So many of my relationships revolve back to a camp in Northern Ontario that I went to, my kids go to. I met this guy, I think we were saying this morning, some 20, 25 years ago, I believe-ish. Um, he is one of the behind the scenes guys or was one of the behind the scenes guys at ESPN. He's now doing really cool work that I'll let you let him tell us about. He is in the suburbs of Connecticut, which really is just one giant suburb. Uh, <laughs> he is Scott Turkin. Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, Jonah. Uh, a lot of fond memories of Camp Tamaqua in Northern Ontario, where we we had a lot of great memories and the, uh, the compound, the Seagull compound on, Lake Simcoe, what a what a what a magical place! Well, we are hoping to be at the compound, as you so eloquently described it, uh, in a few short weeks when we have to quarantine before the kids go up to camp again. Both as counselors, that tells you exactly how old you and I are, because I think 
one of the first times we met, I was yours. So, so there you go. Let, let, let's work, let's work backwards a little bit. Cause you've, you've left the worldwide leader where you were for a very long time. Uh, what are you working on now? What, what, what's, I know you're doing some really cool podcast stuff for the national lacrosse league, uh, which is booming. Uh, awesome to see Canada's real national game is lacrosse. Didn't know if you knew that, but, uh, I, I so do. What, yeah. So what are you up to these days? So, yeah, so I've got a couple of different things going on. One is that I'm a, I'm a consultant and director of digital highlights for the National Lacrosse League. So I'm in charge of all of the, the highlight content and all the video content that the league does. And we've delved into some podcasts as well. Um, Hot Mics is our podcast that we do with Devin Caney and Ashley Docking. And uh, in addition to that, I, I've been developing and, um, and producing, coordinating producing podcasts uh, one is with Trey Wingo. It's called Half Forgotten History, which has been a really cool uh, project to work on. He basically talks to famous NFL people or golf people, and they tell stories that, you know, were part of in a green room or over drinks or at a dinner, you know, nothing really timely. And Trey is just a, a terrific interviewer and knows everybody. And so that's been a, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, doing some other projects as well, have, have worked with some, some other folks. I can't really talk about one for audible that I'm doing because it hasn't been released yet with an NHL superstar and uh, developing another one for Fox. So I'm a busy guy, which is cool. Um, kind of when you're, when you're not at a big company and you don't have a lot of staff around you, it's a little challenging to sort of manage your time, but, uh, but it's been great. And the, the, the podcast vodcast space is really an emerging, emerging place where there's lots of new revenue material uh, opportunities and um, it's easy to produce. You know, we're doing this over Zoom. We've done quite a bit over Zoom uh, and Riverside is another thing we use. But yeah, it's, it's been great. You got your, your, your property of the great state of Michigan. You can't see him at home, but he is wearing his Detroit Red Wings. That looks like an older hat back from the, the, gr the glory days, the Iserman days. Um, yes. Back when they played at the awesome Joe Lewis arena. Uh, so you, it's property of Detroit, uh, did some production work after graduating from the university of Michigan. H how the F did you land a gig at the worldwide leader at ESPN back in the day? Well, so I was working as a production assistant at WDIV in Detroit. And, you know, I really had plans to, be a play-by-play -play guy. I did a lot of play-by-play -play in college uh, called the Michigan hockey team, which they had a great team, Marty Turco, Brendan Morrison, Jason Botterill, all guys that played in the NHL and actually won this, the NCAA championship my senior year. I was offered one job on air in Racine, Wisconsin, and it was to do updates during the week and weekend IHL games, which is now defunct league. And it was for like I think 13 or $14,000. And when I was in college, I, I worked at a, uh, at a DJ company. And I also had my own business doing power washing during the summer and then selling carpets in the dorms. And I made like three times that at my senior year in college. So I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this. And, you know, I took the job at, at channel four in Detroit, great experience works, work with some really good people. And I just, I, I just applied to the, the program at ESPN. Um, and I remember I interviewed with a guy named Al Jaffe 
And Al Jaffe had this really intense sports quiz. And he would ask you things like, who's the fourth starter on the Milwaukee Brewers? And you're like, gee, I have no freaking idea. You know, he'd be like, who's the Norris Trophy winner? And actually, because I'm a big hockey guy, most people didn't get the hockey question. But I was like, it should be Vladdy Konstantinov. You know, this was in the late 90s. Um, And I did well on the interview. And then you started and it was like a, I think it was a seven or eight month sort of temp program where you salary, but then they vote on you and you're either kept or you're not kept. Um, and I, you know, I think I might've had some struggles or maybe didn't get along with some of my supervisors early. I didn't know if I was going to get kept. And then I did. And then it just sort of, uh, I was there for 22 years, um, won a few Emmy awards, you know, um, published the first post on sports centers, Instagram feed, which was kind of a cool career highlight. Um, you know, I was in charge of sports center social media for two and a half years, and we really grew it from about 10 million fans to about 30 million fans. That was, um, I think that was 2014 to 16. And then, you know, did a a bunch of work there. I've worked sort of work with everyone, you know, became really good friends with some famous people. And, um, it was a really cool place to work for a long time. It's changed quite a bit. The, the industry sort of changed that company, um, you know, with cord cutting and whatnot. And, um, you know, I'm not there anymore. I still, it's still, a, I still got a lot of Disney stock in my 401k, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's um, a lot of great memories. Uh, happy to talk about any of them that you want to uh, delve into. So help us understand what, what exactly were you doing in the early days at, at ESPN? Because 22 years ago, it was a thriving, it was the thriving sports network in, you know, a world of one, maybe two. Yeah. I mean, so when, when you start at ESPN, you start in the highlights operation where you're editing highlights and producing highlights that are read on, on, you know, on air by the talent. So I would a lot of times watch games, edit the, edit the, the highlight, write the shot sheet, you know, what they say, most of the anchors sort of ad lib their own style with it. And so if you prove your, your medal there, you're, you're sort of assigned to maybe like a specialty show or, or another assignment. So I started to work on NHL tonight with Barry Melrose and John Puchagross. And that was a really cool, really cool show. Cause I love hockey and the, the Red Wings were great at the time. Um, and then from there, I, I, I worked on college game day and I started producing feature stories for college game day and eventually became a segment producer on College Game Day, where I travel with the show each each uh, each week, and produce. This is again, it's it's a lot different now, but the guys Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet, and Lee Corso used to do segments before the either ESPN games or the ABC games, and also would do like the halftime segments. So I produced that content. That was a great experience because I really hadn't done a lot of line producing prior to that. I'd done a lot of feature producing which is a great skill and you learn a lot about dealing with people and doing interviews well. Um, and then from there, I sort of, I sort of went more of the line producing um, route and I was, uh, I got a promotion to work on sports center as a segment producer and did that for a while. Um, and then my, my career kind of shifted to more of the digital side. They were doing the, the local websites at ESPN and I was recruited to be part of that effort to help lead the video portion of the local websites. And then from there, I did uh, social media and digital video. Um, 
and that sort of rounds it out. I mean, I, I feel like I've done every sort of, I've, I've worked out every muscle in the industry. Um, and it, when you're in social and digital, you also learn a lot about sort of the emerging marketplace because you have to be on top of what the trends are and how to keep the brands most engaging and how to drive the most traffic. You know, when we were, when I was helping lead the digital video group, we had three months in a row where we had a billion views of our videos, which, you know, it's, it's a little bit, some of the metrics are a little kind of pushed around, not pushed, but they're kind of inflated a little bit by the fact that anytime someone opened the ESPN app, there was a video there that would auto start. So whatever video you put there got big numbers. But, you know, it was it, it was great. And we had a great team doing all the all the highlights and all the show clips and original videos that we would create about around big moments. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, the scale of ESPN is really remarkable. I mean, it's changed over time. Um, it's a lot more splintered. There's people like Barstool and, you know, House of Highlights and Bleacher that both of those have a great digital presence. Um, I think ESPN still does a lot of great work in, in all spaces. Um, and now, you know, of course the, the OTT with ESPN plus is a big, <clears throat> a big push for the entire Disney company with both Disney plus and ESPN plus. So yeah, I think a lot of that experience really set me up well to continue to learn new things in the podcast space and the digital, a lot of the digital video stuff I do with the national Lacrosse league is sort of similar what I did at ESPN you know, editing good highlights, distributing them smartly over, you know, social media networks with, you know, authentic messaging on social is that that sort of came, you know, came easy. And that's that stuff I've been doing for a while. The podcast and vodcast space and sort of development is, is sort of a new muscle for me in the last few years. Do you regrets the wrong word, but do you wish you had more of a shot in front of the mic um, as opposed to I'm not going to say just, as opposed to being on the backside, if you will, producing. That's a, that's a good question and a hard one. I mean, that was my aspiration was to be a broadcaster. Um, and then, you know, over time you work with people who are just incredibly talented, like a Tom Rinaldi or a Stuart Scott or Chris Berman or Jeremy Schapp or Shelly Smith. Some of these people that I work with in my career and you realize you might not be as good as, as them, you know? I mean, I think that if I paid my dues and- um, Made $13,000 a year. Yeah, I made 13 grand in, in Racine and sort of did that deal. Who knows where my career would have gone? Um, I do, I, I, you know, part of being a producer is you're more, you're more of the leader of the content and the people, which over time became really- um, intriguing to me. Sometimes there's some pitfalls with that, especially at a big company um, that are challenging and they don't really impact you as much if you're an on-air talent. Cause not that you can say exactly what you want, but you sort of, you don't have the same expectations. It's like a player versus a coach. So, you know, I think that all, all things considered, I, I, I still would like to do some stuff like that. I, I do enjoy, you know, appearing on podcasts. I've done a couple of them. Um, but but yeah, the, the behind the scenes, I think after a while just sort of suited me more. And it was just too far. A, it was too far a road to go back and sort of start over once I had sort of established myself as, you know, a producer and someone that was, you know, doing pretty well and, and enjoying the job. Back when you started at, at, uh, 
WDIA in Detroit at the TV station. It, it was the era of the shtick in sports. Uh, the big guy in Detroit at the time was Vanner Allwright. Um, Who I worked for. There are lots of, lots of people, what, you know, in Detroit, there was an awful broadcaster named uh, Ike, Ike, uh, something. He was the Mega Mega Man or something. And, and that was just <laughs> oh, local. Gosh. That was just right. local. Um, nationally, the same thing, right? You had the fabulous sports babe. She had a shtick. Jim Rome absolutely did and still does. Uh, I was just listening to much. If you've heard the whistleblower podcast, if you haven't, you absolutely should. Uh, there's some great Rome clips in there, but it, you clearly needed a shtick. Uh, it wasn't nearly as much about knowing the sports as it was having a side act, if you will. Do you think that's still the case today? I think it's a little less, but I think it, you know, guys like Boomer and Keith Olbermann and Kenny and Dan Patrick, I think they brought certain things in the vernacular. So I think there was a whole generation of broadcasters, particularly on the national level and, and particularly at ESPN, who wanted to sort of walk that line of being smart and sarcastic, but not smarmy, you know, and uh, you know, guys like John Anderson, I think have, have navigated that pretty well. John Buchagras, you know, some, some of those, those folks do it well, you know, Linda Cohn is, has had no shtick and she's, I think, done more sports centers than anyone. Um, I think what really, you know, Stuart had, you could sort of say it was shtick, but like, if you ever hung out with Stuart, it wasn't, that's just who he was. He was just a guy who was like super excited about life and sports was just an extension of that. So things like Booyah and Cool is the Other Side of the Pillow. And, you know, Stuart was was such a an innovator in the space because there weren't really, there were some prominent African-American broadcasters, but not sort of in that ESPN, do Sports Center every night. And he really, he really changed the game um, to where, you know, it was, it was at the time time he had some he had some really challenges of just being himself you know people would say cool down the shtick you know and he's like well i know what i'm doing what do you guys want they said well we want more stats so stewart would throw in a million stats and then throw out a booyah and no one could say anything you know and so i think nowadays you know there are fewer and fewer i think cut through broadcasters on a national level um you know i think some of the the really great you know doc emmerich in the States was a great, great broadcaster, a long time, sort of universally respected. He didn't really have a shtick, you know, Joe Buck, I think is a great broadcaster. I don't think he has a shtick. So I think it's probably less and less so, but there was a time, I mean, I remember when I was at Michigan and I used to call uh, basketball and, and hockey games. And after the game, I had a list of catchphrases that I would try to either incorporate of, of those I've heard or that I wanted to try, you know, see if they worked. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's quite as much of that, but I do think it really, um, particularly in some spaces like, you know, podcasting or more longer form, we're just seeing more of the personality of the individual, I think is still ha at a premium. So for those who don't remember, because unfortunately he's been gone for, I hate to say it a long time now, Stuart is Stuart Scott, uh, longtime ESPN broadcaster host of sports center for at least 10 years. Am I, am I in the right? I think, I think, I think 20. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't even close. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, he, he followed um, Fred Hickman who, who started with Nick Charles over at CNN. CNN. 
Yeah. Um, which was really the first, I'm not sure where it fit in, but as a Canadian who used to travel to the States a lot, we used to watch that show back when headline sports was a thing. I think that's actually where Van Wright got started. Um, yeah. Stuart, un- unfortunately passed of cancer, I believe. Yes. Uh, has, has been gone several years now. Just from following you on Twitter and others, he, in addition to being a really good broadcaster, he obviously had a, a, a large impact on yours and other people's lives. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, I think, you know, Stuart was, was just full of life and he was the kind of guy that if you spent five minutes with him, it felt like he made you feel special. It wasn't, it wasn't, and it wasn't disingenuous. He was just a guy that just had this amazing personality. Um, and he got really famous, you know, pretty fast. It, you know, he was, he sort of blew up, I would say in like the early two thousands and became this sort of larger than life figure. You know, there was Tim Meadows did him on Saturday night live, which is always sort of a, if you get, if you get, uh, imitated on Saturday Night Live, you're doing something right, you know? And, um, you know, Stuart and I kind of, we kind of didn't work together a lot, but then after I had kids, you know, he followed me on Twitter and he saw that I was a dad. And that was just super important to Stuart. He was a really doting father. He and and his wife got a divorce, but, um, you know, they shared custody and he was just a real doting father. And he just, he loved talking about his girls and he loved just being a dad. And that was, that was sort of a barrier that broke down with he and I, we talked about our kids and um, we talked politics, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a liberal guy politically. And so was he, and um, we'd have some great conversations about Obama and, and politics. And, you know, he, he was just a great, a great dude. And when he got sick, um, you know, some of the stuff, people have challenges when they get really famous, you know, and I'm not saying Stuart forgot, certain people, but he wasn't as sort of full of life with everybody, if you will, for, for a period. And then when he got sick, he was just, he was just an awesome dude all around. Um, you know, I remember one time this, this really speaks to, to Stuart and, and sort of how he, how he was about, about kids. You know, I, I would sometimes uh, text him when we had work to do on the sports center, social media. And one day my daughter when she was, I think three, just texted him some gibberish. And I'm just like, God bless my, my three-year-old daughter is texting the most famous sportscaster in the country. And I'm just, I, I, I said, sorry, Stu, that's my daughter. And he, and he responded right away. He said, Oh, I love it. Give her a big hug for me. You know? And that, that really, I actually saved that, that text for, um, and it's made its way from a couple of phones since he died. Stuart died five years ago. Yeah. And, you know, coincidentally, when I was running SportsCenter, I was, I actually had to put out the posts on SportsCenter social media that he had died. And, you know, we had a call with the PR folks and some senior producers to talk about how we were getting the message out. And, you know, it was the, the, te- the text that we wrote was approved by some, you know, some maybe senior vice president or something. And that tweet of Stuart Scott was like that for a long time was the highest engaged tweet that SportsCenter had ever put out. And, you know, his story really resonated not only with sports fans, but his battle with cancer was really resonant with a, with a, a large audience. So, yeah, I mean, he's been gone a long time and, you know, I'm getting closer to the age that he, he passed away at, you know, in his late forties. And uh, it's just a damn shame that he, he didn't have more life to live because he was just so full of life. Speaking of shtick, 
Chris Berman was the granddaddy, you know, Fred Flintstone, if you will. There, there's a, a period of my life where I don't remember them all now, but the Bermanisms, I, I thought they were brilliant. And, you know, my favorite, I think, was Burt Be Home by 11. Like that was that was beautiful. Just brilliant. What was it like working with him? Well, Boomer is is, uh, you know, first of all, working with him can be stressful because he's always late. Right. He is late to the set when you're doing a segment with him. He's late to a shoot. And not like obscenely late, but like right to the second, you know? So that can be stressful. But you know, if you're working with Boomer, that like, just let him go. You know, just let him be him. Uh, it's always going to be thoughtful. It's always going to be enthusiastic. There's no one that's better at highlights in the history of sports media than Chris Berman. And, you know, one thing, just sort of being a friend of his for many, many years, he's just the most generous guy. He's just in incredibly generous um, giving and, and thoughtful. Um, he's, he's been a, a really big um, benefactor to a charity golf tournament that I run. Um, uh, unfortunately, a guy that I was really close with as a production assistant died in a car accident. His name's Dean Maragos. And along with his family, we started a charity golf tournament. And over the years, it, we're, we're going to have our 20th um, coming here shortly in June. Wow. Good for you. And we've raised over $100,000 for various charities. And, uh, you know, Boomer's been there most years. And when he isn't, he sponsors a whole or writes a big check. Um, and he's just, he's just such a generous guy. I mean, he'd, he'd give anyone close to him the shirt off his back. And uh, I can't say enough, enough good things about Boomer. And is he still, he's still involved, right? Like he still comes on air quite a bit for someone yeah, he who is retired. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think they he, just re-upped him, I think, too, right? Yeah, he got an extension, I think a three-year extension. So he still does primetime, Sunday uh, NFL primetime, which, you know, I think back when you were at UVM, you know, you probably watched on Sundays. Th this was before Sunday Ticket and before, you know, you could get every game and every highlight on Twitter five minutes after it happens. But that's really one of the great shows in the history of sports television mm -hmm. he, him and tom jackson doing the highlights it felt like you know if you watched your game which i always watch the lions sorry it, yeah yes the bane of my existence <laughs> but if, if you watched prime time you would know everything going on in the league and so when espn lost the sunday night game to nbc that show went away but with espn plus they reimagined that show and now it's, you know, it's on Sundays live and then it's on demand during the week. And, you know, I spend I spend a portion of my Tuesday every week, you know, just because I'm a big NFL fan. I have fantasy teams and I bet on some games on Sundays um, and he does that and it's still great. And he's, you know, he'll, he'll appear at the Super Bowl, you know, the big events they trot out, they trot out the Godfather for. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's still he's still the he's still the man and he's still um exceedingly sharp and just has a great memory for sort of like, you know, odd stories. I mean, I, I remember when I told him that I was taking a job with the national lacrosse league, he told me this story about when he was at Brown, some famous lacrosse story from like the sixties. I was, I was just sort of blown away that he had that, that recall, but um, yeah, he's, he's still around. He's still doing his thing. And, you know, it's funny because Twitter for a while, 
before he kind of semi-retired was kind of brutal with Boomer. You know, they would, they would be very negative toward him. And, and, and then he kind of went away for a couple of years. And then I, all of a sudden when primetime came back, people were like, I love my highlights with Boomer. You know, people just, it maybe just needed a little time off for people to realize what they were missing. Uh, exactly. But in my view, he's, he's incredibly uh, influential and just a, you know, a huge figure in the history of sports broadcasting. Yeah. I would say that, uh, they the problem at that time wasn't boomer it was that twitter was was predominantly youngins and youngins didn't like the shtick that was old man shtick and when he yeah. came back it had advanced to an older demographic the it stuck around long enough that old folks could older folks sorry could could join yeah. and, and partake and those people still enjoy it today that would be my um, you, you mentioned it, that you bet on some games. We are certainly entering a new era in sports viewership with the introduction of, of legalized sports gambling, not just coast to coast, uh, but certainly in Canada as well. Uh, here in Seattle, it's not legal yet, but I'm told it's coming. Um, it, it, I was saying to somebody last night, I can't imagine what a broadcast is going to look like in five years with we used to think the stats geeks were just analytic nerds and what have you and and clearly that is is pivoting into more betting where, where do you think that's headed how big do you think it's going to become I, it, it's a little hard to say because i think that you know i think betting is the proliferation of it in the last few years has been great i think it was kind of silly for a long time to hear a football broadcast and someone say, you know, say like, well, that field goal means a little something to somebody, <laughs> you know, and you're like, just the, the spread was seven and a half. Okay. Right. They just covered the spread. Um, I, I think that you've seen it sort of proliferate on a real sort of organic way where you're seeing it more on graphics for games. Um, you know, one thing that I actually really enjoy is if I'm watching a game, just live betting. And I think there's a really big opportunity to do that particularly on the apps that, you know, Barstool or DraftKings, FanDuel, that, that will have, they could integrate that really nicely in either a second screen experience and like OTT where maybe you could, God, I'm giving away a million dollar idea here, but maybe you could clip, you know, click on a lower right to say, hey, I want to take, I want to take the Mavs plus seven and a half, you know, right now. Um, and I think that'll be, I think that'll be a big, um, opportunity for a lot of a lot of these these places you know I think there's still a little bit of a, a hill to climb for companies like you know Viacom and Disney to sort of really be really out there selling it in an aggressive way but man you know I, I remember having some conversations back in the day with people at work at ESPN and said well if ESPN's broadcasting the game why can't they take action on it like what's what's the point in not doing it and so I think, you know, they're probably still not there yet. Um, but that seems like a, an easy opportunity. If Wisconsin and Ohio State are playing, why can't they book games on people that stream the game? You know, like, hey, stream the game, get a free $5 wager. That makes total sense. So I think that it's going to be bigger and bigger part of the sports landscape and what I think is really sort of undetermined is how the 
the NFT space will impact gambling because now you're seeing, you know, Top Shot is had this crazy run up and I, 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 I put a little bit of money in, done Top Shot, got some pack drops. I think it's pretty fun. I haven't made anything more than a couple hundred dollars, but um, you know, there are some NFTs that like have horse racing, which you can buy a horse and then you can stud the horse. And then when the horse runs, you can bet on it. So that's, a, that's like, gosh, it's a little too much for my head to take, but there's, there's a market for it out there. So I think if there's a way to integrate some of that, it's probably five to 10 years down the road, but you know, with all the proliferation of the blockchain and cryptocurrency, I, I think there's something, I think there's something there as well, you know, with the NFT sort of live gaming, who knows what the hell it is. I mean, if I knew I'd, I'd probably be in a different house uh, <laughs> on a different microphone, but um, I definitely think sports gaming is, is, you know, it's funny because there was a time where if you told someone, you know, oh, I got, I got 50 bucks on uh, the Falcons plus seven, they'd be like, Oh, this guy's a degenerate. And now it's just like everyone bets. Everyone does fantasy sports. Everyone does daily fantasy or, you know, does a, a golf uh, team on a, you know, PGA weekend. So I think it's going to continue to be a big part of the space. Um, it just, it, it remains to see, you know, the one sort of offshoot is, you know, I'm, I'm close friends with a guy, Scott Clark, who's um, in charge of sports betting and fantasy at ESPN. And we've had some discussions that, you know, they've had, they've put out some really good content and really good shows and they're not see, they're not seeing the ratings they would like because it's just, hard to find the exact audience. It's still niche on sort of the more traditional ways of getting it out there. So I think companies will have to be really um, inventive with how they distribute. Maybe it's with text alerts, maybe it's with social media, maybe it's, you know, like I said, tying uh, an OTT stream to a bet. Um, so I think that's the industry has a lot of, a lot of room to grow in sort of how they get that content out around gambling. And I think the more states it's in, it's, it's, it's bound to be a huge, huge deal. So it used to be that the Super Bowl was the event. You waited for Super Bowl, one, for the commercials, two, for the, the, the crazy, funny prop bets, and three, the game. The ability for everyone legal to participate in those prop bets, you know. I, I just imagine QR codes sitting on the screen you know, scan this for heads, scan this for tails, and you've got wham, you know, a million people instantly betting a buck on, on heads yeah. or tails, right? Like that kind of participation is where I think it's going to explode. And what I want to ask you about is because you started there at, at ESPN on the hockey side is they're now getting back into hockey, which is a pretty interesting development along with TNT. How big a deal is that for them to get back into it? And what do you think it means to the hockey fan in, in, in the United States? I mean, I think it's great for ESPN to get back into hockey. Um, I, you know, this, this is over 22 years. I, I still kind of catch myself saying we when in referencing ESPN, but I do think, and maybe this sounds a little institutionally arrogant, but I do think when ESPN's involved in a sport, it really helps the sport grow. I mean, you've definitely seen that with UFC. I think some hardcores might, might actually not like the big monolithic company involved. But I think, you know, being on on ESPN and ESPN Plus, I think will be huge for the game. You know, 
it's a little challenging in that the best player in hockey plays for the Edmonton Oilers. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they market Connor McDavid, no slight to Sid Crosby or Ovi or some of the other great players in the game. But, you know, I think that seeing, seeing more just flicking around and seeing hockey games on, I think will really help. And, um, I think they'll make a big deal out of it. You know, the Stanley cup final being on ESPN or ABC, I think will be great. It'll be interesting to see who they choose as the broadcaster. Um, you know, I'm friends with both Steve Levy and John Buchagross. Uh, I know they both probably would love that gig. Um, I presume both will be um, involved heavily in some sort of way. And, you know, I think they'll make those games feel big. Um, you know, NBC did have Doc Emmerich. I mean, he was awesome. He was an institution, but for some reason, it just felt a little more niche on NBC than it, than it does. Um, but like I said, Connor McDavid, what's he 23 now? Maybe not even. And I mean, he's a generationally great player, you know, and I think that the game has a lot of great young talent in it. Um, my Red Wings are terrible. I'm hoping they turn it around at some point. And, you know, I think it'll help also if big American market teams, you know, the Rangers, the Kings, the Blackhawks, when those teams are good, then I think ESPN will broadcast those games and make those teams more national teams. So, I, you know, that's kind of a long answer to say that I think it's a big deal for the game. Hockey, hockey is such a great sport, but it's always been a little bit niche in America. You know, it's I mean, you lived in Detroit you know how big the wings were in Detroit, but there's not that many cities in the U S where hockey holds that big of a, of a foothold. I mean, oh, even yeah. when the Blackhawks were a dynasty, they still were probably the third or fourth biggest team in Chicago, you know, and they were incredible. Two of the best players in the game, maybe three with Duncan Keith, but yeah, so I, I love it. I hope it helps grow the game. I hope it's uh, love to see a team back in Connecticut at some point. Um, people around here, are always, always sort of like, Oh, maybe they'll bring the whalers back. Cause it is a really good, there's a lot of good youth hockey programs um, in Connecticut and it would be cool to see a professional team here. They, they you know, they used to have the whalers here, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I, I think it's big. I think it's big for the game and I think it'll be great for the sport. I love that. It will be hopefully more prominent on sports center. I think that's the bigger difference is that it's not going to be, don't be, it's not going to be up there with lacrosse uh, on sports center. It'll be much more prominent if they're covering games. Um, yes. It's it, it'll, I think it'll really help grow the game here in Seattle where we have ton of kids playing. So we have that market already addressed, which is a huge win, but having ESPN and TNT and having those games on sports casts uh, is, is critically important. I think that's where they're going to grow. Last question for you because we're doing this on a Saturday. Um, you worked on SportsCenter for a long time. Highlight shows are certainly, uh, I think they're endangered. I don't watch them anymore. Uh, the bigger challenge for them in my mind is that my 19-year-old son has zero interest in them at all. Um, he texts me six, seven times a day with the latest Vladimir Guerrero home run or a slam dunk by somebody or... So he's getting his content on Instagram or Twitter uh, or even TikTok instantly. The need to watch a highlight show for him is nil. And as he enters into the consumer marketplace, 
uh, that spells deep trouble. Uh, how, how does how does a network like uh, a network like ESPN handle that? Well, I think they've done a really good job in in adapting in social media and being smart about that. I mean, I'd like to think that I had a a, a decent hand in that to start that sort of um, movement to that space. You know, being really authentic, being really timely, being really reliable with updates, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, Snapchat, et cetera. But you're right. It, it is a challenging time. I mean, I still occasionally will, in, will watch SportsCenter, particularly after, big, after you know, a big night where there's a, a handful of good hockey games and a handful of good basketball games. And I still really like watching Scott Van Pelt or Bucci or John Anderson, some of the guys, Michael Eves, some of the guys that are on the, the uh, 11 o'clock SportsCenter. My buddy Kenny Maine too. But um, – yeah, it's, it's challenging. I mean, I, I think that probably the biggest way to do it, you know, to make SportsCenter more relevant is to insert SportsCenter into the more, the live game windows. And they've done that a little bit with the NBA with like the halftime is now branded SportsCenter. Maybe they'll do that with hockey as well. Um, I think they do that with Monday Night Football. So I think maybe, maybe just evolving the brand so it's fewer hours. And that's the other thing. I think, again, I'm not there anymore the people in charge of it are smart. They know what to do, but I think at some point they put sports center on too many hours in the day. So it just became sort of a monotone. Maybe that's the wrong word, but it, it just sort of all, there was a lot of sameness to it, you know? And so I think if they pulled that back a little bit and had more sort of, I know it's an erstwhile term, but sort of appointment viewing, I think that might be helpful. So we'll see what happens. I mean, now I don't think you can look at a brand in a vacuum and say, well, the linear version of it doesn't do well. Well, but you know what? If the social versions of it are driving, let's just say 50 million engagements a week, that's a lot. That's you're reaching fans that way and you're staying relevant. Now, what I think that has been challenging is there's this great social audience, but how do you monetize it the same way you can with those linear, those big ratings. And that's bit that they haven't been able to do. They, they, you know, they make some, don't get me wrong. ESPN makes a, a lot of money relative to other media companies, but nothing like the type of revenue that, you know, the linear network revenue. So I don't think that sports centers endangered like some others do. I still think it's a major brand in sports. I think that, you know, there's still youth fields where someone has a great goal and they say, Oh, well, that's going to be on sports center or some kid makes a dive and catching the baseball field is a, Oh, that was SC top 10. So I still think in that way, it's still part of the sort of sports fans vernacular, but it's definitely a changing environment and people have to um, there's fewer sort of lean back experiences as a consumer. So maybe the, maybe the, the real challenge is to find a way to get in people's sort of consciousness and their, their habits. So they, they don't even think about it, but they're opting into to doing something on SportsCenter. So we'll see what they do. I mean, I, I still, like I said, a, a big game after a Super Bowl, after the NBA Finals, I still like watching it because I think those, the highlights and the analysis is better than most places. But uh, you're right, especially for the younger fans. They're just, they're not geared to, to consume sports that way. I lied. I have one more question. Uh, no, you can go as long as you want. No, no, Edit it down. I don't give a shit. 
it's um you've been to many big name events live and in person uh if you follow scott on, on social media you'll see i have an image in my mind of you being i think at the uh, college football championship on the field um if you could only pick one to go to any of the majors golf hockey basketball football baseball lacrosse uh which one are you going to and why well first can i just share my my favorite my favorite experience of course my favorite experience was the 2006 Rose Bowl, which was Vince Young against the Reggie Bush team. Yeah. And me and the reporter, Steve Cyphers, we covered Texas all week and they were great. So we were like, hook them. Not, not like, <laughs> you know, in our, in our on-air reporting, but we were like, hook them, which meant it meant, you know, hook them horns, but also F them. Yeah. Everyone that wanted USC to win. So that was great. You know, I, I've been to, I think it's 12 college football sort of national championship impactful games and there is nothing like the rose bowl for a national championship it's a, such a beautiful setting the the grass it literally is like you could eat off of it it's just <laughs> it's it's breathtaking and so for me and the flyover they do the flyover the rose bowl and it, I've been there when they've done one of those stealth bomber type of uh, flyovers. So for me, the Rose bowl is number is number one that I've, that I've been to the Rose bowl as the, as the, the venue for the national championship. The one I I'm dying to go to is the masters. I just, I, I love golf. I love the masters. I could literally watch every hole. I've covered some golf in my career. I covered the U S open that tiger won by uh, 15 strokes at Pebble Beach. And then I, I played Pebble Beach the next day. Behind me is a picture of Pebble Beach that I got on that trip. Um, I just shoot. But yeah, the master, oh, I think I shot a 108. <laughs> and, and at the, I how'd, mean. How'd you do on the back nine? Oh my gosh, I don't even remember. I, there was, I did have, I remember on, I think it was the 12th hole. I had like a birdie putt that was downhill and it was the day after the US Open. And I had one of those deals where it like lipped out, but had like one more rotation, like you see on the US Open, and it rolled off the green. So I was a mess the next few holes. So I, I my chance of breaking a hundred in that round were, were gone after that. But yeah, the, the mass, you know, I've been to um, pretty much every major sporting event outside of the NBA Finals, and um, my favorite is still the College Football Championship that I've been to, um, and the Stanley Cup. I, I saw the Wings clinch the cup in 1998. So that with my brother, um, so that's probably my favorite sort of venue, uh, excuse me, favorite sporting event that that I've been to, not professionally involved. But yeah, the the, the one I, the Masters and you know the College Football Championship at the Rose Bowl. That's that's a long answer to your sort of throw-in last question. But uh. so here's the really good news. The good news is in, in covering sports media in North America, um, it's an industry that's under attack. And it's an industry that unfortunately, uh, as, as ratings are under pressure um, across the board, has experienced a lot of not just turnover, but layoffs. And it paints it with a pretty negative picture. And you all can't see it, but you can genuinely tell that Scott loves what he does. Uh, he loves the business. And that's really refreshing for someone who covers it uh, for shits and giggles. And uh, seeing people that take a lot of pride in working in the business who love sports, uh, that's how I grew up knowing Scott. It's evident in the way he uh, follows his teams, 
we talked very, very briefly about his Lions. Thankfully, not my Maple Leafs. Um, but <laughs> you can see him on Saturdays cheering on Michigan. Uh, equally as painful for him recently. But, you know, being able to live your passion, finding an avenue where you didn't have to really take it on the chin and a ridiculous salary coming out of, not just coming out of college, but coming out of really good college. That is incredibly inspiring to younger people today. And I think it's really hopeful for people that are sports fans that there are still people in the business who love it. And uh, hopefully more and more get to tell that story. And hopefully whatever this transition period looks like we come out of and all the networks and all the and network doesn't necessarily mean TV or radio, uh, but all the outlets find ways to continually hire and bring in new talent to grow audience. And in my opinion, I think it's going to be much more about engagement than it is audience size. And if you can get a more engaged, smaller number, that's better than disengaged. And that is actually what excites me on the gambling side is I think there's going to be people who are waging hard-earned money on games, but I think there's going to be a, a secondary market where you're going to be gambling for points or experiences or what have you that's going to engage a whole new generation of fans uh, into sports and events. And that's exciting. So I really thank you for joining us. You are inspiring. It is good to talk to people who love what they're doing. Uh, you're still in the prime of your career and lots of years ahead of you, I hope. And uh, I hope, hope so too. Hopefully when whatever it is that you launch with this famous NHL star and Audible, I believe you said, hopefully you'll come back and tell us all about it. You can see his work as the director of digital highlights for the National Lacrosse League. He's also part of Half Forgotten History. He's one of the producers. Uh, his entity with Blue Duck Media, love the name. Next is going to be Landed Loon or uh, Screaming <laughs> Fever, something like that. <laughs> Thanks again to Scott Turkin for joining me. What an awesome interview. Really great talking about his career, uh, speaking to somebody so positive about sports and sports media in this day and age is really refreshing. It gives me hope for anyone who's still looking to find work in the industry or those who aspire to get into it. Once again, if you're interested in being a sponsor of the Press Row, reach out to me at jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Subscribe to The Press Row on all your favorite streaming channels. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online and Seattle Shirt Company. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.